Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our online worship experience. My name is Peyton Menzemeyer. I'm one of the ministers here, and we are in the Sermon on the Mount, if you've forgotten, with our Upside Down Kingdom Sermon Series. It's the longest consecutive teaching of Jesus that we have, and this morning, we are going to turn a corner towards its conclusion. You see, Jesus, he's been revealing to us a new way of life and relationship with God that is both personal, um, but is also restorative. And that connection with God, it frees us from putting our hope and allegiance into created things and idols like we talked about a couple weeks ago. It also frees us from anxiety and worry, as we talked about again a couple weeks after that. Um, It's this open-handedness towards the Father. It frees us from feeling like we have to control people through condemnation and judgment, what we talked about last week. It's a remarkable image of what life looks like in full connection with our Father. Like anything can happen to us because we have that connection. And so what Jesus is going to do today in today's passage is he's going to reveal to us how can we maintain and sustain that kind of mindset and habit with God and that connection with him. And Jesus gives us a fairly fundamental practice in order to hold on to that prayer. Jesus believes that as a disciple of Jesus and follower of him, you should be praying and praying often. Now we are in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. I'm going to read that here in a moment. But if you have your Bible, I encourage you to look at it. And I want you to notice how Jesus defines prayer right at the beginning. He defines it in the form of asking. Ask, seek, knock, and you will receive. And that seems a little strange for some of us. It seems a little too simplistic. And then you notice in verses 9 through 11 how God is depicted. He's depicted as this loving, generous father who wants to give, openly give to those who ask him. That's a fairly intuitive thought. Good fathers want to give their children what they want and what they desire as long as it's good for them. So this morning, if you were in person with us, um, you would have seen a very special treat as my two boys um, got to be a part of what we do on Sunday morning. My youngest read some uh, memory verses or recited some memory verses he knows. My oldest, he uh, said a prayer. And they have been watching me for quite a while. Uh, They watch me come up on stage. They watch me talk and hear me. They watch me with these different microphones. And they want to do what I do, right? And we let them pray, you know, at the dinner table or at bedtime. We let them do memory verses at school or whatever. But to do it like me, to do it the way I do it, that's different, right? That's special. And so they asked me, Mr. P, when do we get to do what you do? Ask and receive, right? And so this morning, that's exactly what they're going to be doing because there's nothing I want more than for my boys to be excited about praying. Like there's nothing I want more than them to be excited about um, learning their memory verses and learning their Bible. There's nothing I want more than them to be excited about what we do on Sunday morning with our church community. And so, yes, yes, we can do these things. Yes, we can find other opportunities to do them. Yes, keep asking me and I'm going to keep finding ways to give it to you. And I think that is the place that Jesus seems to be leading us this morning in our passage. Being a follower of Jesus means a relationship with God and a fundamental practice of asking with full expectation of receiving. Now, if you're anything like me, there's some major hurdles to get ourselves in that place. Like, I want to believe you, Jesus. I want to believe that God is boundlessly generous, but that's a hard image for some of us to get to. 
maybe because of our earthly fathers, and we don't have good memories or a category to place God in in that way. Maybe it's from our our personal experience of prayer. We've lifted up what we thought to be good things, and they didn't seem to get an answer. Like, what about what about all those prayers that were left unanswered by our opinion and perspective? And so we struggle with this. Like, where? And then there's this whole thing about like, does my prayer actually work? And is there power in it? Like, if God already knows what I want, why do I need to ask Him? Like, these are real obstacles. And again, I want to adopt this belief, Jesus. I want to believe you, but these are real practical obstacles that we need to work through first. And Jesus, he knows. And so he's going to address those this morning. And so let's just listen to Jesus as he, as he talks to us. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everybody who asks, receives. The one who seeks, they find. And the one who knocks, yes, the door is open to them. Or which one of you, if his son asks for a piece of bread, will give him a rock? If, you, if he asks for a fish, is going to give him a snake. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So coming off of this, we move into our very first obstacle. And as if, it's as if Jesus knows that we struggle with imagining God as a trustworthy father who wants to openly give to his children. And notice what he says, ask, seek, knock, and you will receive. And it's like Jesus is reading the room right now. He knows and he can see your doubts and your questions written on your face. Like, is it really that simple? Like, is God really that open to my requests? And so Jesus, he moves into the characteristics of God. And, and he adopts this language of a father and son image. So I understand there's likely some people who are watching this video who struggle with, with imagining God as a good father because of your experiences with your earthly father. I remember a woman at my previous church, after we sang the song, Good, Good Father, which talks about God being a father to us, a good father. She told me about her struggles with that song because every time she tried to imagine God as a good father, only memories that came to her mind were her terrible memories with her earthly father. And so you can agree with her or not. I just want to recognize that I know that that's a reality for some people watching this video. But regardless, God is often depicted to us in parental language and as one who anticipates giving to us openly. And so in our passage, we have this image of a boy asking his father for something that's necessary, bread. <laughs> And we have to remember when Jesus is giving this sermon, he's talking to a group of people on a hillside. These are working class citizens, likely families gathered together to listen to this teacher. I mean, this was like the box, uh, the box office theater movie coming into town. Like you go and you watch to the teacher. And so I imagine Jesus wants some participation here. He's like, fathers, look to your sons. And if you're watching this and you're by your children, just look at them. If they ask you, for a piece of bread, are you going to give them a rock? And I imagine Jesus anticipates an answer, the same answer from them that you would give. No. What about your daughter? If they ask for a fish to eat, are you going to give them a snake? No, of, of, of course not, right? Who would do such a thing? Like Jesus brings, like he wants his audience to participate and he brings them to recognize, hey folks, you're good people. You're amazing people. You're made in the image of God. 
but you're also really messed up. <laughs> and that's not news for us. Like that's already been established in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's established right here in our text. Like you're evil. You have an evil heart. You're messed up. You're screwed up. But Jesus, he banks on this core intuition in all of us, especially in parents, that if your children ask for things that they desire or are necessary, that you're not going to give them something useful or even harmful. And this is very basic, but has huge implications for answering our very first obstacle. If we as broken, messed up human beings have a core intuition to give what is good to our children, how much more so the father that Jesus is revealing to us? Again, it's simple, but it's utterly profound. And what Jesus is asking us to envision is that God, he is not out to get you. His basic fundamental posture is eagerness to be in a relationship with you and eagerness to give you what is good for you. And again, that's hard for some of us to imagine because of our experience with earthly fathers and we don't have a category to fit that in. Some of our parents were too heavily involved and they had an expectation for us that we never thought we would meet. And so we deeply struggle <laughs> with this. But I believe if we lean just a little bit harder into it, into this imagery of a father and son, that that God is going, that Jesus is going to reveal some things to us. Now notice, if you have your text in front of you, notice the structure of this small teaching. You have the ask, seek, knock part in verses 7 and 8. And then you have the father and son imagery in verses 9 through 11. So you have kind of two sections that we're dealing with here. So what would happen if you ripped verses 7 and 8 out of their context? There's bleeding on the page. You threw the rest of the way. And then you put up other verses like Matthew 18, things that say, uh, ask whatever in my name, it'll be given to you. And there's other ones in Mark and John, but you got all of these verses, ask, knock, ask whatever in my name will be given to you, where two or three gather in my name, there I will be, and I will give them what they ask. You put all these verses together and you form a little theology from it. What's going to come from that is what I like to call a vending machine view of God. You approach God with your desire, you drop in your prayer tokens, you select what you want, and out pops what you hope for and what you so desperately want. And there's a problem with that kind of theology in the people. There's two major outcomes for people who adopt that kind of theology, that God just is here to give me what I desire. The first outcome is that you have adopted that theology for so long that everything fits under that umbrella. Like you're, you're driving through a parking lot and you're just praying, God, open something up and boom, hallelujah, there's a spot opened up to me. Praise God in this moment, right? It's just like everything gets captured. I pray, I ask, I seek, God gives it to me. And then there's the other outcome. And if you look at that theology and you prayed for something that you thought was good and you didn't receive it. And there you go. All of a sudden that that God, I don't have anything to do with him if there is truly a God out there. And I would say Jesus is saying something far more nuanced here. And that's only made clear when you place verses seven and eight back into context and you juxtapose it with the imagery of a father and son. So if you are a parent or if you've ever been a parent or if you've ever been parented, I think I got everybody there. This is going to be fairly intuitive for you. And I want to I want to explain it in my own personal experience, All right? Do I want my boys, do I want to give my boys opportunities to pray in front of the church 
and give them opportunities to read Bible verses. Yes, absolutely yes. I want to say yes to those things. Just like I want to say yes whenever they ask me if I want to play chess with them or they ask me to go to the park to throw the Frisbee or they ask me to... uh, to read a book to them. Yes, yes, yes. I want to give these things to you because they're good. That's what Jesus has established in verses seven and eight. Ask, seek, knock. I will give these good things to you. But certainly Jesus wants us to think this through just a little bit further. Does a wise parent who wants what's best for his children always say yes, no matter what they ask? No, no, of course not. That's a, that's a ridiculous scenario to try to imagine, right? Like if I said yes to everything my boys wanted, they would eat cinnamon, all the cinnamon rolls they could muster in the morning. They'd eat candy for lunch and they'd top off the night with popsicles. They wouldn't wear helmets when riding their wheels in the driveway. They would watch whatever they wanted on Netflix. Doesn't matter the content, doesn't matter the rating. They just watch it because they feel like it, right? They just, they simply don't have the capacity to know what is good for them and what is harmful to them. That's part of my job and my wife's job as their parents to guide them, to use to use our wisdom to both respond to them generously and lovingly, but also to not always give them what they want, and to use our wisdom and discernment to say no. And so when my youngest <laughs> yesterday was told by my wife that she couldn't ride my our neighbor's electric scooter that has like the handlebar bar throttle because he has his own scooter, not electric, but he can barely ride it, she was the enemy. And he doesn't understand it. Like, they're both scooters. Like, why can't I ride on one? Like, he doesn't get the connection that this one has a motor and is extremely dangerous. And so she's the enemy. He has, like, slitted eyes at her. Is like, I hate you. And she has to deal with that because she knows what he is asking is actually dangerous. And what he doesn't know is that by her saying no, she's actually loving him and protecting him and giving him what he ultimately wants. Like, he doesn't want a broken bone because then he won't be able to play on anything. In fact, he doesn't want a broken bone even more than he wants to ride that electric scooter. He just can't connect the dots, right? She can do that. And it seems that's exactly what Jesus is inviting us into when we view prayer. Prayer is a relationship. It's, a, it's an experience. And so whatever, me, whatever, whatever he means by the ask, seek, knock thing, he's not opening up God to be a personal genie to us. But at the same time, I don't want to minimize the bold offer Jesus is making. Like he is making a bold offer. And I think he's inviting us into, and and the purpose of it is to force us to think about prayer and our relationship with God as an ongoing relationship. And a relationship where the Father actually interacts with our requests and our prayers. And just because we don't get what we want doesn't mean the Father isn't listening. And that leads us into our second obstacle. Like does prayer even work? So let's say that you can get into the place that you trust that God's not out to get you, that you can actually, and that's, that's a huge step for some of us to, to actually recognize that God doesn't hate me, but through Jesus, he loves me unconditionally. That's huge growth for some of us. And he wants to give openly to us. So let's say we got there. You're likely going to run into the second obstacle and questioning whenever I pray, does God actually change the way things are going to work in the world in response to my requests? Like all you need to do is flip a page back, Matthew chapter six, verse eight. And you see there's a passage where it basically says, God already knows what I want before I ask him. So stop and pay attention to what's happening internally inside of you. When you read that verse, if God already knows what I want before I ask him, 
what's happening inside of you. Well, I'll tell you what's happening inside of me. God already knows what I want before I ask him. Why ask him? <laughs> right? Like, am I the only one asking this question? Like, if God already knows what I want before I ask him, why would I ask him? He already knows what I want. He's already going to give me what I need. So why do I need to ask him in the first place? And Jesus, he seems to come to the opposite conclusion. Like it's, yes, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So ask him. Like that is the motivation for asking the father. And what's under that is insight to how God works and interacts with us and our prayers and the world and our choices. And this is a category breaker for some of us. It's a God that's incredibly relational. He interacts with our prayers and requests in ways that we don't fully appreciate. And it's a category breaker because I believe there's two, there's two extremes that people often fall into when we think about the character of God and how he works in the world. The first extreme, I like to view it as God as Shakespeare. God is the master creative mind. He scripted this whole thing out and we are but actors in the play. And if you recognize that you're an actor in the play or not, it doesn't matter. And there's no deviating from the script. It's like God has wound a clock, put it down, and letting human history play out as it's already been established. One extreme. The other extreme, I like to view God as the master chess player. This is another beautiful creative mind. God is incredibly intuitive. He can anticipate moves before they ever happen. But like humans, this God is also subject to time. And he's emerging with humans, not sovereign over them. Two extremes. And the crazy thing is, is that you can pick a couple of stories and verses for this one. And you can also do the other for the opposite side. But the problem with both of these extremes is the Bible. And we don't have time to get into the weeds. But I do want to say this. If you have a firm grasp of who God is and how he works in the world, don't read your Bible because it's going to mess it all up. In our verse, what Jesus, Jesus seems to view God, the Father, as all sovereign, who's directing all things towards his purpose, but, but who has given human beings a degree and an arena of genuine freedom and decision-making to decide how smooth or bumpy this ride is going to be. God's choice has been to work out his purposes in the world through humans, not for humans, not despite humans, but through humans. This began in the garden, in the very first pages of our Bible, where God created these dirt creatures, made them in his image, and empowered them to go rule and co-create on his behalf. That relationship continued when God made covenants, partnerships with people like Abraham and Moses and the people of Israel. And despite all of the treachery and rebellion and hate and bloodshed, um, God remained constant. Human beings let down their end of the deal, but God remained constant. Folks, we've blown this. And it took God coming in the form of human in order for humanity's deal to be upheld. We've blown it, but through Jesus, we have constant connection with our creator. And God's sovereign choice was to redeem the world through human beings. That was God's sovereign choice. And as a father, I understand this a little bit. Like part of my job is to empower my children and give them their own dignity and give them their own worth as their own people. Like I cannot make all of their decisions for them. I can't force them to be who I want them to be. And I have to balance the moments that I give them 
um, gentle movements and and uh, and you simply guide them in their decisions. In those moments that I let them make their own choices, good or bad, and to receive the consequences from them and to learn from them. In my my experience with my children is just an analogy, but I think it's exactly where Jesus wants us to land when we consider God's ongoing relationship with us. Like God is going to redeem this thing. That's as sure and as true as a thing as Jesus rising from the dead. But at the same time, he's created a remarkable arena for real decisions and real partnerships with him along the way. So what does that have to do with prayer? I would dare say it has everything to do with prayer because prayer is a crucial part of that partnership. I mean, just take a look at these verses in verses 7 and 8 once more. And Jesus claims if you ask for good things that won't give you cavities and won't give you broken arms, like things that are truly beneficial to you, you will receive them. And your father knows what you need before you ask, so ask him. So let's just do some simple math here. Ask and receive. Don't ask. Yeah, don't receive. And this, this implication has taken me many hours and many cups of tea to fully think through. Uh, there may be good things in this world that could happen, but won't happen because we don't ask for them. And yes, God will do beyond whatever, whatever I could ask or imagine, but Jesus seems to be saying that our prayers matter. Just like our actions matter, and our obedience matters, and our choices matter. I mean, these are real decisions with real cause and effect outcomes, and Jesus seems to place prayer within that category as well. Your prayers matter, which seems silly to say. It really does, but I don't think we actually believe it. I straight up think, don't think we believe it. Like, just ask yourself the question, do you, how often do you pray? Because if you thought it mattered, you'd likely be praying a lot more. Do you, do you believe that God is going to work out his purposes in the world through you and through your prayers? If you did, I think you'd be praying a lot more. Former Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, once said, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. Have we adopted that kind of mindset? Or have we been plagued by our third obstacle? And that leads us to this idea of what about all the prayers that I've lifted up but seemingly received no answer? What about the unanswered prayers? The ones I so desperately wanted and thought were good things but received no active response from them. And the Bible doesn't give a nicely wrapped answer to that question, and I'm not going to try either. But I have personally felt the sting of, of praying for a good thing, like the life of my first child, and not receiving the thing that I so desperately wanted and I thought was good. And the only place I know where to turn in that moment is the Garden of Gethsemane. We've talked about this in a recent lesson, but Jesus was moving into the worst day of his life. And he knows what's in store for him. And he doesn't want to die. Like he prays fervently for God to uh, remove this option from him. He's shaking. He's crying. He's sweating blood. He's praying, God, please take this cup from me. I don't want to do it, but your will be done. Was Jesus's request answered? He died. Jesus died. Jesus didn't get the answer he so desperately wanted, but he put his faith fully in God anyways. Genuine trust. 
trust that got him killed in the end. And so your years of praying and not receiving or those dark moments whenever you pray for something desperately good to happen and doesn't turn out the way you want, Jesus can empathize with you in those moments. He knows what that pain feels like. But his life and his death, it's a reminder to trust God anyways. We have no idea how our prayers are answered in this life or in the new creation. We have no idea the the impact our prayers have on people or on circumstances. Jesus just says to pray and that you're praying, it matters, and it specifically matters when it's given to a trustworthy father who wants to give generously to those who ask. So he says, ask for it. Pray. So what are you asking for this morning? What are you praying for? I'll tell you what my prayer is for you. I pray that you recognize this morning that God created us to be with him. We weren't meant to go about this life alone, but our sin had separated us from the goodness of God. You see, God is holy and good and pure, and we are broken and in desperate need of repair. And repair that I can't do on my own. I've tried. And you've tried too, through your marriage, through your job, through your drugs, through your therapy. You try to fill that broken hole in your life to fix the brokenness that you feel. But Jesus, he says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Not those things. I will give you rest. And Jesus is the only one qualified to actually say that because he is the Holy One who came in the form of a human and who said no to all of the the sinful desires that my heart desperately grasps for. And then after living holy and true and perfect, he took on my punishment. Like he walked out on death row for me. And Jesus says anybody who believes in that and puts their faith in it and follows after him, they receive eternal life with him. You know, eternal life, life with Jesus that begins now and it's never ending. So I pray right now that you will put your faith in Jesus, that you will believe that he died for your cross and he is the only way to redeem you from your brokenness and your sins. I pray that you will consider taking your next step towards a community. Maybe that means coming back to church and being with your church family, or maybe that means submitting your life to Jesus in the waters of baptism. I pray that you will reach out to somebody this morning, that you will ask them to pray for you in your next step, whatever it is. God, we offer you this prayer with trusting confidence that if we ask, we will receive. If we seek, we will find. And God, when we knock, yes, the door will be open to us. Amen.